Good morning, North Church. How's it going? Good. I think that's good, right? You're doing okay? Good. Well, hey, we're going to continue in our series uh, called Stand Strong. We are in the middle of a series, actually coming, coming to a close soon. And we have been talking about the armor of God. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 6. And today we're going we're gonna to dive into that as well. And the reason that we wanted this, the reason we kind of selected this particular passage is because of the fact that life is filled with challenge, that there's resistance in our lives and especially in our spiritual lives. So if you feel resistance, if you feel challenged, if you feel that there is something going on that is unexplainable, that is difficult in your life, there's a chance, a very good chance, that you're encountering a spiritual battle, that the scripture is really clear that the devil is real and that the fight is real. There's a fight of faith that's going on in our lives as those who are walking with God. And uh, he wants us to know how to engage in the battle and to win. He wants us to know how to be able to stand our ground when all hell breaks out against us. And so we're going to look again at Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And uh, we are going to start in verse 13. And so there's this spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. We talked about that last weekend. And today, take the helmet of salvation. In all of our circumstances, and there are a lot of circumstances that we encounter, right? Those things that come against you. And in those things that you encounter that are difficult, that are resistance, or that are, feel like they're attacking your marriage, or attacking your children, or attacking your finances, or attacking something to do with your own personhood and your identity, that in that, in all those circumstances, we are to take up the helmet of salvation. Now, helmets, of course, they protect our head, right? They protect our thinking. They protect us from trauma. That's what a physical helmet does. And as a kid, I never really liked helmets. I had a motorcycle. I rode bikes. Never liked them. Never wore them. Rarely wore them until once I was on my bike, just a bicycle riding on the street, and a car hit me from behind, kept going. I went flying off into the, into the, into the concrete there in the, in, on the side of the street, bashed my head, knocked myself out, woke up, and you know one of the first thoughts that I had? I'm gonna start wearing a helmet. <laughs> Go figure, I don't know, but that's exactly what I thought when I woke up. Like, I need a helmet. Now, the, 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 the opposite of that is my little grandson, Eli. A couple years ago, uh, gave Eli this Spider-Man helmet. And he loved the helmet. Matter of fact, he put that helmet on, never took it off. You know, it's a few years later, he's outgrown it, but he's still wearing it today. Now, when we gave it to him, he, he would work out, in the, he would play out in the yard with it. He would be in the house with it. He would eat meals with it. He would try to go to bed with it. And his mom would fight him to take it off because he loved his Spider-Man helmet. Now, 
God has told us that there's a helmet we're to wear. There's a helmet to put on. There's a, a helmet that we want to wear all of the time. We want to have it with us because it protects your mind. It's critical to the battle you're going to find yourself in. See, salvation, the helmet of salvation, protects our thinking by giving us a whole new perspective of life. It gives you a whole different perspective. Before Christ entered your life, before the gospel transformed your heart, the Bible tells us that our mind was darkened, that we kind of didn't have a clue about spiritual things, and that we thought we were wise, but in thinking we were wise, we actually became fools. Jesus made no sense. The gospel seemed like nonsense. Kind of like philosopher Karl Marx said about faith, he said it's the opium for the people. And I don't know about you, but I used to kind of look at it that way. Christians were just kind of weak and weak-minded and kind of needed, needed that in their life. And it's because I wasn't able to think through a spiritual lens. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, for if the gospel we preach is hidden, it is hidden only from those who are being lost. They do not believe because their minds have been kept in the dark by the evil God of this world. There's something about, there's this veil over our eyes. There's this cloud over our mind that before we become a Christian, we just can't process spiritual things. And that's how it was. We just think through our natural mind. There's no such thing as a helmet of salvation for those who are lost, dead in their trespasses and sins. Yet when you become a Christian, you do something called repent. And the word repent, metanoia in Greek, is the word to change your mind. To change your mind. And when you change your mind, your direction changes along with it. When I became a Christ follower, when I acknowledged Jesus as Lord, I changed my mind about who God was. I changed my mind about seeking my own pleasure in life. I changed my mind about the Bible. I changed my mind about the kind of person I wanted to become. I changed my mind. Have you had a change of mind? Repentance is a change of mind which leads to a changed life. When you repent, you place your trust in Jesus Christ. He begins to work inside you from the inside out. God's spirit begins to, to, to cause us to think differently. And there's something called the renewing of the mind that begins to happen. Your mind is more than your, just your thoughts. When the Bible talks to us about the mind, it often actually interchangeably uses the word mind and heart because the word mind in the scripture is more than just our thinking. It's our attitudes. It's your point of view. It's your judgment, your intentions. And so that all becomes new when you become a Christian. That, I'm not saying it all becomes new on day one, but you enter into a process where your thinking begins to change. As a Christian, you now have access to salvation, which is like a helmet, and you put it on in order to protect that renewed mind. The Apostle Paul 
said in the letter to the Romans, he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so there's this rejection of the way the world thinks and the conforming to its sense of value. This world has no real moral compass, but God does. And so he wants us to not conform to the thinking of this world and begin to allow the Spirit of God to transform and renew our mind. And that's part of what it means to take up this helmet of salvation, a renewed mind. It's not automatic. It's a choice that we resist the compromise and the conformity, and we seek out this renewal process that God wants to to give us. It's important to understand, though, that when we talk about the helmet of salvation, we're not talking just about the experience of becoming born again, of that moment of salvation in your past. Because it's something, it's a piece of armor that we take up and we put on. And that's not true of salvation, of the saving of your soul. It's something that God does for you. He's done for you at the cross. And it is secure. It's not like, oh, I screwed up today. I guess I lost my salvation. And so now I got I to gotta pray a prayer again, and I got to come to God again and, re- and, and get saved again. No. Salvation is not something you pick up and you take off and you, and you lose because you blow it in life and you sin. The helmet of salvation is about how you live as a Christian. You're going to live defeated, or victorious. Remember this letter that was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus? It starts out by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to who? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. The armor of God was written to the Christian. It's written to those who have already experienced salvation. And Paul is writing that because he wants you to know how to resist the wicked one when he comes to attack your mind and to attack your thinking. And how does he do that? Well, the enemy comes in to attack our past, what you've done in your past. He wants us to doubt God's saving grace. He wants to keep us stuck in our past. He wants us to doubt the relationship we have with God today, that God's love is strong enough to hold us now. And he wants us to doubt our future destiny that God has marked out for us. And that's why salvation, like a helmet, is so important because it protects the way you think. It gives you a new world view. And it helps you remember what God has done for you in your past, what he's doing for you in your present, and what he will do for you in your future. So I want to talk a little about that as we look at kind of unpacking this helmet of salvation. Many Christians think of salvation as just a past event. As you look back and see what Jesus did for you on the cross. And yes, it includes that, but it is so much more than just that. But let's talk about that for a moment. The past salvation, having been saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, It's for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one 
can boast. Grace is a beautiful thing. Grace means there is nothing you can do to clean yourself up and come to God. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor or to earn forgiveness. You can't go to church enough. You can't be a good enough person. You can't be immoral enough. You can't give enough away to the poor. You can't do anything to help save yourself. It's grace, a gift given to you by God. It's a love I didn't deserve, and it's something I can never repay. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live, to die, and to resurrect. And it was on the cross that he took all the weight and all the penalty of my sin and yours, and it rested on Jesus. Though he was innocent, he died for the guilty. And so we are forgiven based on what Jesus has done. You see, religion is spelled D-O. It's what you do to try and come to God. Make yourself good enough for God to receive you. And yet Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's what Jesus already accomplished on the cross, that he paid in full, paid in full. When he hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, it is finished, which means paid in full. The record of your wrongs are wiped clean. And now we are made right with God because of Jesus. Titus chapter 3 puts it this way, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He saved us. It's something Jesus did for us. And so the attack on our mind often is that I've got to clean myself up. I've got to somehow participate and earn this. I've got to muster up enough faith. And yet we often, even as Christians, can end up living under a cloud of shame because we, we buy into this thinking that the enemy wants to put in our, in our heads, which is look backwards. Look at the people you've hurt. Look at the mistakes that you've made. Look at the grossness of your sin. If people ever knew the secret things of shame that you've done. And so we often live under this cloud of shame. And God wants to, to break that apart for you. He wants you to live in freedom and live without the shame and the cloud of guilt over your life so that as you look back at the cross, you know, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I have been cleansed, not because of what I have done, but because of the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. We put on the helmet of salvation, and it causes us to think differently. And when, those, when those, that assault comes against your mind, you're able to point to the cross and say, he hung, for, he, he hung on the cross to, to die for me and release me from my shame putting on the helmet of salvation. But there's also a present reality to it. It's not just something that we look back on. There's also a present salvation, our being saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. 
2 Corinthians 2 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. There's this process going on in you right now where the Holy Spirit is at work renewing your thinking, helping purify your motives, causing you and me to want to please God. I don't know about you, but that was not an instant response for me. I'm growing into that person that wants to please God with my life because there's this ongoing work of salvation happening in you and in me. Theologians call that sanctification. Philippians 2, Paul said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who is it that's working in you? It's God who's working in you. Both to will, that means that now the things I want to do, and to work for his good pleasure. Those things are happening because God is working in you. And he, there's this ongoing process of salvation. I'm not talking about looking back. That's been done. You are saved. But we're still being purified, sanctified. And Jesus is at work within us as we walk our salvation out. Now, the attack that often we experience in our mind is that I'm disappointing to God. You ever thought that? That I don't measure up. I look around and I see people, they, you, you seem like good people. I'm not. And so I don't know, why, do, why is it that I still sin? Why is it that I still struggle with certain destructive habits? Why am I still addicted? Why, why are these things still happening in my mind? God must be sick and tired of forgiving me over and over like a whining baby for the same thing. He's probably disappointed in me. I probably don't measure up. He's probably too difficult to please. You ever feel any of those things or think any of those thoughts? where you still struggle with things, like maybe you have a habit where you still turn to, you know, medicating yourself, or you experience pornography, or your self-loathing, or temper still flares up, and you wonder, why am I doing the things that I don't want to do? And we can get so discouraged and think that freedom exists for everybody else, but I'm, there's a defect going on in me. You see, that's an attack on your mind and on your thinking. And, and there's this aspect of present salvation that God is at work in you. Don't give up. God is at work in you. There's a process going on in you, setting you free and making us holy. It's something that happens over time. That you'll never be good enough for God to love you. He's just given you his love. He doesn't love you based on your performance. His love is unconditional. That's why it's unlike human love. It's unconditional. God will never love you any more than he loves you right now. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. How about if I give everything away to the poor? No, he won't love you anymore. Well, what if I read my Bible every single day for three hours? No, he won't love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to have God love you any more than he does right now and there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less 
You can run as far as you want away from his presence, and he will still love you. You can stay stuck in your sins and in addiction. He still loves you. God's love is unmerited. God's love is unconditional. God's love is eternal. And God loves you. And that's a new way of thinking. And it's something that you need to protect that so that you don't give up and you don't try to run from him because you'll never outrun his love. You breathe in his grace. You are saved by grace and you live by grace. And you breathe it in every day because God is at work in you, working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's salvation is past, salvation is present, and salvation is future. It's that our sins have been forgiven, that we are now made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Present salvation, God is at work in me today. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying and working in me. And he's not finished with me yet. And I'm in a process. But what does it mean for salvation to be future? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's futuristic. And in Matthew 24, Jesus said, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's this future aspect to your salvation. And part of that is what happens when we die. That our body will waste away, but our spirit will be saved. Jesus, looking into the future, when he was here on earth, he said this to his disciples. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I, I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. He's talking about our future salvation. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about this earth is not all there is. That we look forward to a new body, a resurrected body. That we look forward to future glorification where the dead will be raised, where sin will be eradicated, and where we will live without suffering, completely healed, our minds completely freed, and our souls completely made whole. Isn't that great news? Isn't that, uh, that, that aspect of salvation that I long for, can't wait for? And that we will be protected from and rescued from God's coming wrath. In Romans 5, verse 9, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood because of what Jesus did on the cross, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We will be saved. It's part of that future salvation from God's wrath. And that is why salvation is such great news. And it's something that we want to, we want to protect and we want to live in and live out of. And yet the, the devil often will attack that future component as well. And you know one of the ways he does it is by terrifying you about death. Because when we struggle with that fear of death, sometimes we're just confused about what's going to happen. 
What's going to happen? Is there anything out there? Is eternity real? Have I been living my life this whole time hoping, but I'm not really confident of that? We often get afraid to leave this earth because we feel like that's all there is. This is the best that it gets. Or the flip side of that is that we just get so hopeless and discouraged with the suffering that's going on in our lives that we feel we don't count, that we have no purpose. And we gain, we, so many people end up in a hopeless state. And can I just say to you, if you're in that place of just hopelessness, that God sees you, God loves you, that you matter to him, that he's given you purpose even if you can't see it right now, and he has a future charted out for you, don't give up. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So easy, isn't it, in our suffering to lose sight of what's going to be revealed, to lose sight of that future salvation. We get kind of mired in the pain and the suffering, whether it's with yourself or someone else. I mean, I've have a dear friend, just a few years older than me, who's in the process of dying right now. And uh, I was visiting with her just a few days ago, and her body is just, you know, wasting away, and she's so tired, and she's been suffering. And I drove away, and I just, I was depressed. I was sad. I was just thinking, God, why? Why is this happening? Why? Why does she have to leave right now? Why can't she stay here and be here for her kids and her grandkids? And I just started feeling kind of that attack. And then I, I was able to kind of turn and go, but wait a minute. She's going to be healed completely. Heaven is real. It's a real thing. It's a real place. No more sickness. No more suffering. She'll be made completely alive. She'll be completely loved. She'll be completely known. Isn't that something that we all long for? And she will get to experience that before me, perhaps. There's a future salvation that awaits. And taking up that helmet of salvation looks at your past and it protects what God has done. It looks at your present and it thanks him for his present work in your life and it it looks forward to the future and says, Jesus, you're coming again, and I'm going to be raised to new life. See, taking this helmet of salvation means thinking differently. It's, it's that protection of a, of a spirit-filled mind. This is how Paul words it in Philippians 4. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about these things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I have to be honest, I don't think that way most of the time. I, I mean, I'll wake up and I'll sometimes turn on the news and I'll just see all the bad stuff going on and my mind will start being assaulted with just hopelessness, negative thinking, and just where is God in all of this? And yet, Paul is saying, you have to wear this helmet of salvation and you have to fix your thoughts on different things, on things that are honorable and true, lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. What if, what if we would wake up in the morning and the first thing we would do is read 
something from the scripture that would be honorable, right, admirable, worthy of praise. Before we encountered all the negative thinking of this world, all the political bickering, all of the abuses that we read about, all of the tragedies that we're so quick just gravitate to learn about, know about, and we just want to fill our minds with all the negative stuff. What if, what if we thought differently and we protected our mind by filling it with the right things? It would change the way we feel. It would change how we experience God. It would change so many things in our life. Thoughts control us oftentimes. And faulty thinking and negative thinking and just taking and just being like a sponge to whatever wants to hit it and allowing that. And God wants us to protect that renewed thinking, that renewed mind. He says this as a final kind of thought here. He says, if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. That there's something about guarding our thinking, living out of this helmet, with this helmet of salvation on, and thinking about the right things, that it, you'll, you're going to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. All understanding. It means when you encounter hardships and suffering and circumstances, that you're going to respond differently to those things than someone who is exposed and not, not, not thinking and not living out of their renewed mind. In other words, when all hell breaks loose in your life, you want to put on that helmet of salvation and you guard your mind and you experience God's peace, his peace in spite of all your circumstances. Living in Christ, that's where it's at. That's what we want to do. And that there's victory in that. Well, let's pray together. Would you bow your head with me? God, thank you. As I, we were just singing that song earlier, and it's so inclusive of this message. You remember the song we were singing, Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Lord, we want to lay hold of that truth. We want to think through that lens. Maybe you're here today and you've never really stepped across the line of faith and and repented, meaning changed your mind about God and what he's done for you. And I want to give you that opportunity right now to step across that line of faith, to embrace salvation as a free gift you cannot earn, that Jesus purchased for you at the cross. And if that's you, I invite you to pray this along with me. Jesus, I'm opening my heart to you today and I'm inviting you in. Be the forgiver of my sins. 
and the Lord of my life. I want to experience salvation and I want my life to count. Change the way I think, God. I'm turning to you right now. I'm changing my mind. I'm repenting. And I'm inviting you in, Holy Spirit, to just make me new. Renew my thinking. I pray in Jesus' name. And if that was your prayer, God is at work in you. He's starting that process of transformation and it will continue. And many of us are here today and we look back at that, at that, the reality of salvation and yet we still, maybe we've, maybe we just haven't been repenting, meaning changing our mind daily. And that's a daily thing that we do as a Christian. We keep repenting. We keep changing our mind and we keep turning back to the gospel and saying, Lord, help my thinking, help my heart, help my mind, help my life. Line up with what you say is right and true. Line up with things that are admirable and excellent. And so I turn to you, Jesus, today. And I change my mind. I've been conforming too much to this world and its thinking. And today, I'm asking God, would you renew my mind, renew my thinking, renew me. I want you to own my mind. And I want you, God, to reshape it and help me think and process circumstances, process suffering, process this life and the one to come differently. God, thank you for that future that's stored up for us, that inheritance that awaits us. Lord, help us live expecting, looking forward to the coming of your kingdom and the saving of our souls and the complete freedom that awaits us. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. A powerful word, Pastor Mike. Thank you. We all, as children of God, get to take off our Spider-Man helmets, right? Put on the helmet of salvation. Hey, if you uh, said that prayer of salvation for the very first time, stepped across that line of faith, would you um, come up and let Pastor Mike or myself know? We'd love to pray with you and, and help you get started in, in your next steps as a Christian. So go ahead and stand with me if you would. Well, if you are new and you want to join me for First Connect, I'll be right over here under this monitor. If you do need prayer, we have uh, our prayer team will be over here uh, on this side of our stage. Uh, come back next week. We're going to continue this series on the armor of God, but have a beautiful day. See you next week.